Amen. Hey, so if you were here last week, you know uh, that Pastor Mike laid out uh, a sermon series on really why Harvest Community Church exists, or even why you could say why churches exist in general. And don't forget, the vision is to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. He also laid out our values, right? Our values are to love one another, right? To walk with God and to seek the lost. And, and this is why, this is really a at the heartbeat of what gets me out of bed in the morning. It really is. And you might be thinking, what, church statement? Yes, because it's not just a church statement. It is, a, it is everything God's doing. It's everything God's doing in and through the world for his glory. So this is, this is so hopefully something that's exciting to participate and to co-labor with God. Which brings us to our text. Because as I was thinking about all the sermon series since, uh, let's say, January, kind of this fresh start theme, right? There really has been a theme to it. And I thought, okay, this is the last one before we go into First Timothy. How do we land the plane, right? So it got me praying, got me thinking. And that really brings us to Ephesians 5.15 today. Now you can go ahead and get your Bibles, but don't turn, hold up, don't turn there yet. Because I want, I want to set the stage, hopefully, because we're going to go into a text which really didn't have any build-up. So I'm hoping to be able to build up a little bit. So if we were to look at Ephesians 4, and you don't have to go there. I'm just laying out the series of thought that Paul has that lands us to where we're going to be at. So I'm just going to give you the big themes. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, we'll hear Paul. He would say, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Okay, so he's talking to the church. He says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. In 4, 17 through 32, he says, walk, church, listen, walk in a way that is dramatically different than the way that the world walks, right? In 5, 1 through 6, he talks us to walk in love. As people who have experienced and, and been graced with the love of Christ, filled with the love of Christ, now you walk in love with one another. And then he, he takes us to 5, 7 through 14, and he says, okay, now walk as children of the light, right? And this is his exhortation to the church continually. Okay, you can see a theme of walk, 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 all in response of the gospel, which he lays out wonderfully prior to this moment. But that brings us to our text today. So now, if you would like, go ahead and take your Bibles out and open them. Open them to Ephesians 5, and we're going to be in verse 15 through 20. And we're going to, he's going to exhort us as Christians, as born-again believers, to walk as people who are filled with the Spirit. And that's going to be the main theme. So you ready? Okay. All right. Good. I hope. Come on. Listen, church, you are allowed to talk back. It's good. You're not allowed to talk back in a way that's not you know, profitable, but are you ready? All right, good. Hey, so what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? When this happens, listen, I want you to know, it's going to show itself in wise living, it's going to show itself in worship, and it's going to show itself in witnessing to the community. So, with your Bibles ready and turn to them, let's read Ephesians 5, 15 through 20. I'm going to read it in its totality, then we're going to work our way back down through, all right? All right, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, 
giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, we're going to start in 15 and 16. I want you to know, listen, here's your first fill in the blank. These days are evil and time is short. So let's seize the moment and live out our lives faithfully in the world that God has made. These days are evil. I'm not going to spend much time here, right? Because I don't think I have to, right? You realize this. If you think back to two weeks when Mike was preaching on the sanctity of human life, I don't have to say any more than to realize these days are evil. When you see the staggering numbers and you think about the tragedy and the war that's happening within the womb, it's pure evil, right? Or, or maybe you just turn on the news or you go online or you read the, the newspaper, if you even know what that is or if it even exists anymore, and you start to see what's happening around the globe, you start to realize, I don't have to convince you these days are evil. They're evil. Well, okay, what's he saying? Well, okay, because the days are evil, therefore we must look carefully, Christians, at how we walk. Or, or maybe to say it another way, be alert and be ready, church. Be ready. Because the days are evil. Walk wise, right? Live out your life faithfully and seize the moment, right? That really is at the heart of the first piece of the text. Seize the moment. Why? Because this moment will never come again. This opportunity will never come again. And you got to know, man, to live like this, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy to always be thinking intentionally about the gospel and, and living a life on mission with Team Jesus, right? It just won't happen because it's easy to get busy in our lives and to miss the point. Not only that, but the days are evil. Yes, there will be much opposition. The unholy trinity of what? The flesh, the world, and the devil wage war against us. So Jesus reminds us, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves as you go out in this evil world world. Don't disengage, engage, but stick close to me. And so many times when we think about that, we, we think of walking with wisdom in this evil world. We think, well, the thing that would hold us back is the big blatant sins, right? I think many times we make them say, well, at least I'm not doing this, right? And, and whatever this is, is generally some huge sin. And yeah, big sins are included, but that's generally never the thing that keeps the Jesus follower off track. Many times, it's much more the little choices that we make daily. It really is. As you think about your own life, it's the little things. It's just the gradual degrading of your life. It's the hitting the snooze, and I'm not going to beat anybody up on any of these things. You have to think about that yourself, but it's the little choices we make every day. And this point was wonderfully illustrated in the book uh, called Screwtape Letters. And maybe some of you have heard of it, maybe uh, even read it. Uh, i got to tell you, it's a book written by C.S. Lewis, and, the, it, and it illustrates this point wonderfully, right? Uh, if you're familiar with it, there's a, there's a lead demon named Screwtape, Uncle Screwtape. And he's, he's discipling uh, his little understudy nephew, and his name's Wormwood. And uh, cool names, right? And what he's doing is, it, it's, if you read it, it's an allegory tale, but he's talking about what it might look like from the other side of the spectrum, right? So he, he's saying, listen, and there's a, there's a chilling section of it where Uncle Screwtape is talking to his nephew, Wormwood, and he, he wants to remind Wormwood, he says, listen, you don't need to get him in huge sins. You don't need to do that. He says that the road to hell is paved by sins that are subtle and socially 
acceptable. And I'm, okay, that's not scripture, but I'm telling you, well, well, that's, well, that's at the heart of it. Really, it is. See, once Wormwood was tempting his human creatures that he was trying to drag to hell, he's, he's tempting them with big sins. And, and Screwtape comes along and he says, listen, Wormwood, we don't need to do that. You're going to scare them right to God. What are you doing? He goes, no, just let it be subtle. And so this quote comes from that book. It says, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. He says, your affectionate uncle, screw tape. So Wormwood switches up his whole tactics. He's like, I'm not going to get them to jump into these big sins. I'm just going to get them to be numb and live their life and not think about God. And so he changes his whole tactics. All right, I don't say that to scare you about demons or, you know, or they're writing letters. I'm telling you that because I want you to know these temptations are there for the believer. Now, the road to hell is not paved primarily with dramas such as crimes and genocides, earth-shattering events. It's generally not. It does include that, of course, but it's much more the case of someone who is just self-indulgent, living a me life, and, and not even thinking about God and just seeking to be happy in the world that he made, apart from him. That's the road to hell. Well, we see that Paul says, listen, it starts with uncontested thoughts and desires that seem harmless, but they're going to carry you in a direction you do not want to go, contrary to God's will. So walk carefully, be wise, right? Make the best use of the time, he says. Well, for instance, what would that look like? Wasting time. Anybody got ideas? I got some, because I thought, Scott, what about your life? Where do you, Scott Rising, waste time? And I came up with a long list, but I'm only going to share a few with you. Um, Facebook, right? That could be one. Uh, Netflix, that could be another one. Exercise, probably not, but maybe right? <laughs> and, and you're like, you've never wasted time with exercise. I agree. Um, and I want you to know, are you saying Netflix is bad and Facebook's bad and exercise is bad? No, I'm really not. I'm really not. They're neutral. They're neutral. It's what your heart does with them that could make them bad. It's when we take potentially a good thing and we make it an ultimate thing. It starts to become the center of our lives. That's when it comes a very bad thing. Because at the center of our lives needs to be God, and everything flows from that, right? Well, we need to look at how to seize the moment, not waste time with selfish desires, but redeem the time. That's what Paul's telling the church right here, right now. Well, what's it look like to redeem the time? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. So on the flip side of the coin, redeeming the time is... Well, you have to answer that for yourself, but I think it's anytime you can get yourselves around humans, that's a good start because you can't just, well, you can love yourself, you ought not, but when you're around other people, you have an opportunity to love people, right? And so it could start with that. I'll say this, be a continual learner. Don't think you know it all. Always seek to stay humble. And that takes God's grace to do that because by nature, we're a proud people. But seek to learn. Read a book on parenting. Read a book on marriage, right? A gospel-centered book. Um, get good podcasts into your mind. If you're struggling with finances, this and that, seek to learn, right? So redeem the time. Maybe you have a drive to work. Listen to some. Plug in some great worship music that has God at the center and exalts him. Sing out, right? Uh, pop in some uh, podcasts as you're mowing this summer. Redeem the time. 
But I want you to know, my goal as, as your pastor is not to be your Holy Spirit today. It's not to tell you what you need to do or not do, because I don't know what you need to do or not do. But I do want to encourage you to talk to your Father in heaven and allow him to examine your heart and ask him, are there ways that I'm wasting the time you've given me? If Jesus were to return tomorrow, would you be excited about how you lived the last week or so? Ask yourself that. And then when he reveals, here's where you need to change, change by his grace, by his spirit. This always happens when you're in the word, when you're in prayer, and when you're in community with others. Because people have a way of just rubbing us wrong. But God uses that to change us. And so I want to encourage that. Now, as you do, I think you'll notice patterns in your life that you need to change. And he will give you the grace to do that. Prime example, I'm going to share one with you that God used in my life years ago. Hunting. Now, hold on, men, and maybe some ladies. I'm not saying hunting's bad. I'm saying if you hunt, hunt to the glory of God and give me jerky. Right? So, I mean, hunt. But there was a time in my life where I was hunting a lot, and I was working a lot. I had worked at a company that required six days a week, 60 to 65 hours a week, and, and Sarah was just a, a baby. And I loved hunting, man. It, it just consumed a lot of my thought, time, and energy. And it was never in a way that I thought was inappropriate. But I remember one night, I'm sitting in a tree stand, and it was horribly cold out, and the rain was hitting me in the face, and I'm sitting there, and I had not seen a deer, and I had not seen my wife or my daughter all week. And I remember sitting there thinking, what are you doing? I mean, I didn't hear God say that, but it couldn't have been more clear to me in that moment. Like, what are you doing? And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, man, my daughter's never going to say, I had the most amazing father because he killed big buck. I mean, he was the best daddy ever. I just knew she was never going to say that. And so in that moment, it was like, no, but she'll say I have a good daddy by God's grace because I spend time with her. So I just got out of the tree stand. This is all God's grace. This is nothing of me. I get out of the tree stand, and I go home, and I never went back. And that was like, we're talking 10 years ago. That's what I'm saying. God, God listen, there are times in your life he'll do that to you, and you just got to listen. You just got to listen. Now, I'm not saying stop hunting. Don't hear me wrong. But maybe there are things that you are doing that just aren't kingdom building, and you need to change. Well, ask God. He'll lead you. Okay, moving on. Paul then moves us on, right? And he encourages us to walk as those who are making the best use of our time in these evil days. And then he says, knowing the will of the Lord. So pick it back up in verse 17. Ready? says, therefore, because of this, because the days are evil, you need to walk wisely, right? And you need to make the best use of your time. Therefore, do not be foolish. Do not be foolish, but instead, understand the will of the Lord. Now, some of you, I, I just know because I have many conversations with you, might be thinking right, right now, like, whoa, hey, hold on, wait a minute. We can know what the will of the Lord is? The answer is Yes. Otherwise, the Bible is extremely, Paul's being rude. He's saying, understand what the will of the Lord is. No, God's going to hide it from you. You'll never know. That would be rude, right? No, God does have secret things that we'll never know about until he reveals them, maybe in heaven. But he certainly wants to know, he wants you to know what he wants from his children. So he reveals his will through his word, right? Yeah, so like when we talk about the will of the Lord here in this moment, he's not, 
He's not meaning who you're going to marry, how many kids you're going to have, what job you're going to work, where you're going to live. None of those things does he mean that. Now, he, might ha- he has that all figured out in his sovereignty, but I'm telling you right now, he doesn't mean that right now. You want to know what he means? You want to know what God wants for your life? Read the word. He reveals it, right? Do this. Don't do this. Don't be a fool. That's, is that God's will for you? Yes, don't be a fool. Know what I want from you. How? In my word. Because that's how God primarily reveals himself. And, and just so you know, it generally always boils down to this. God wants you to be more like him and less like yourself. You want to boil it all down. What is God's will for your life? I'm telling you, that's his will for you, is that you would be less like you and more like him. Because that brings him glory, and it's good for us to be like him. All right. So to do that, we must stick close to Jesus. We must stick close to Jesus. We must seek to know and do the will of the Lord while living in these evil days. Well, how do we do that? Well, Paul gives us some hints in Romans 12 too. Um, By the way, God doesn't want it to be a secret for you, right? It isn't like figuring out some patterns in the Bible, right? No, Romans 12 too says this, do not be conformed to this world, church, Christian, born-again believer. It's easy to be conformed. This world wants to shove you into its pattern, right? It wants to shove you into its mold. And he says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. You might know what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. So we must be transformed by our minds, not just our external behavior, but the way we think, because our minds must be transformed through the word of God. And I got to tell you, that's not the wisdom of our culture and of this age. It's really not. Um, To prove my point, there was a book that was turned into a movie called When a Monster Calls. My wife and my daughter and I went to watch it. It was like a children's thing, it's, you know. I got to tell you, there's a part in it. I, there's parts I liked about it, by the way. It had Liam Neeson as a voice. I mean, how can you not like that as a man? But it had this one point, this one quote, and it said this. You do not write your life with words. You do not write your life with words. You write it with actions. Well, that sounds good, right? That's like, yeah. And then he says, what you think is not important. It's only important what you do. And I'm like, oh, book note that. That's a good conversation for the ride home. So I bookmarked that, right? And, 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 and actually, it came out months later as we were talking. Boy, there, that's wrong, but that is the wisdom or lack thereof of this age. It's not important what you believe. It's only important what you do. The problem with that, you and I do what we believe. Believe that. I promise you, right? What you think will always drive your behavior, and so Paul, it, Paul's problem is never primarily with your behavior. It's always with your beliefs. That's why he's always saying, set your mind on things above. And out of that will flow a changed life. If you try to clean up your behavior before you change what you believe, you just become a religious person. And you'll be miserable, and you'll make everyone around you probably miserable. He understands that believing will affect your behaving. Right believing leads to right behavior. 
The gospel that saves us is the same gospel that transforms us. That's why we must be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And by the way, this will take effort. This will take discipline. It will take you to pick up your Bible and to open it and to read it. You will not just get zapped. It doesn't work that way. And I I talk to people all the time, and they're like, "Uh, And I'm not saying this to make anyone feel bad. I'm just saying you're never going to get zapped with wisdom. You're never going to get zapped with holiness. Nobody drifts their way to be more like Jesus. It's intentional. It's intentional. And whatever that means for you, but we must seek him with all our effort. And then we need him to give us the power, right? It goes back to the first sermon of the year when Pastor Mike was preaching on Psalm 1. And and he was saying, listen, the man that, that with the transformed mind, that man, he's a blessed man. He doesn't hang with fools. No, he, he delights himself in the word of God. He delights himself in the gospel. And on that news, on that good news, on that word, he meditates day and night. He's like a strong tree that drives down deep roots and receives nourishment from the word. That's exactly what he's saying. And that's what we need to do as well. Listen, you and I, we need Christ who died for your sins and died for mine. We need grace. You know what else we need? If we're going to do any of the things that we've discussed leading up to this sermon, we need power. We need power. Because you and I, man, we ain't got a chance apart from the Holy Spirit giving us that power. And the good news is, is Jesus did not leave us alone to figure it out on our own. He gave us a helper, another helper. He says, I'll give you. He gave us the Holy Spirit who leads us into truth understanding the revealed word of God through his word and as we seek to follow him. So yes, when we read the Bible, it always takes our meditation, yeah, but it also takes divine revelation to help us see, to help us understand. So ask him, ask him to do that in your life as you read the word. I promise you, he delights to answer that prayer. He delights to. God, I want to see you as beautiful as you are. I know that I see with a dim eye. Help me. Help me to see your, your beauty in your word. And he's like, oh, son, daughter, I've been longing to hear that from you. How about this? I'm telling you, he does this because I have already told you many times. I used to come to the word of God as a born-again man and just not see anything that made me excited until I had no chance except for what he would do in and through me. And he did. So, church, we must be filled with the Spirit by getting drunk on the written word of God, by getting drunk on the good news of Jesus, by getting drunk on the gospel, we must saturate our minds with it and pray that the Holy Spirit would fill us to the brim so that we'd have more of him and less of ourselves so that what spills over into this world is good, acceptable, and perfect. Simply put, you cannot know God or what he desires from you if you do not know God from his word, because that's how he chooses to reveal himself. Because I'm telling you, if you think you know God apart from his word, chances are you've made God in your image. You've probably formed your own God, and it's in your image, the way you want him to be. But that's not who God is. God tells us who he is, and we don't get to change him so that we like him better. We have to be changed. We have to be transformed, and that happens in the word. So, church, let's get drunk on the gospel. Drink deeply. Why? Well, this is pleasing to the Lord, right? And it leads to worship. It leads to witness. So let's pick it back up in verse 18. I think you'll see that. All right. 
Verse 18 of Ephesians 5 says, And do not get drunk with wine. Why? For that's debauchery. But instead, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody to the Lord with your heart. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, church, listen. Seeking to be continually filled with the Spirit leads to wise living, worship, and gospel witness that flows from a thankful heart. Flows from a thankful heart. Okay, we, just so you know, I've already said this, I want to be very explicit. We have zero ability to do anything of eternal value apart from God blessing it. We have zero chance. We need him to do everything as we work, right? That's why in Psalm 127, one, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. But that doesn't mean we just don't do anything. As Mike laid out very clearly from the scriptures last week, we participate, we work, but we are working with faith, trusting that God's going to be the one who's doing all the heavy lifting in the background as we work with those, hopefully, who have wind in our sails. You know what I mean? So we're, we're working, but we're trusting he has to do this. You and I have zero ability to open any blind eyes. Holy Spirit, do this. God, do this. Help them see. Help them hear. Open their hearts, right? That's what we're praying for. And so we work with faith, trusting that God will make our work not in vain. Because he's a good God. He's like that, right? Know that the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but it consists in power, right? The gospel is power, and that is talk, but it comes as the Holy Spirit brings and accompanies the word as it's preached. If we're not disturbed, church, by the way, of how little you and I can do in our own power, if you're not disturbed by that every day, you'll never be desperate enough to pray for God to do it. And you'll always be exhausted saying, this doesn't work for me. Every day I'm reminded, man, I can do nothing. God help me. God help me. And I'm telling you, he loves to answer that prayer. And so I'm asking you to be praying that every day as you go out. All right, so let's not be the church that does not grow in health and size because we wrongly think that we got it figured out. We don't, as is evident in your leaders. But we're seeking him and we're trusting him and he gets the glory in that. I never want us as a church to hear you do not have because you do not ask. Let's be persistently seeking, knocking, asking God to do these great things in and through our church for his glory and for the good of our church, for the joy of his people and for the good of this world. Let's do that, right? Yes? Let's seek to be continually filled with the Spirit. All right, I'm anticipating some of you might be like, oh, I don't know about that. I don't like that. So I'm, I've anticipated that argument because I know it probably makes un some of you uncomfortable. Well, aren't we already filled with the Spirit the moment we believe? Answer, absolutely. Yes, the Bible could not be more clear that every born-again person receives the Holy Spirit the moment they place their faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Some examples, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And all were made to drink of one spirit. Then in Romans 8, 9, the second portion of it says, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. In Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, couldn't it be more clear? It says, In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed 
with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, born again is being born again is the greatest miracle any of us will ever experience. If you're here and you're made new, you went from death to life, you cannot experience any greater miracle in your life. You can't experience, even if you were to have your arm chopped off and Jesus said, grow that back, that's not a greater deal than going from death to life, I promise you. And it only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, then you might be saying, well, then why do we need to be filled Right? These are the words from the text. Be filled with the Spirit. If we already have the Holy Spirit. Well, that's a great question. And I don't know about you, but I need more God and less me. And, and you're going to see it. You're going to see it specifically in Ephesians 3. Right? If you're thinking, yeah, I, I, I need more Holy Spirit, less me. Well, you're in good company because Paul's in that company. Look at Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. This is a prayer. This is a prayer from the Apostle Paul, okay? And I want you to listen to what he's praying for, for the church. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that... Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What a beautiful prayer. I mean, if you're like, I don't even know how to pray, maybe we should model that prayer because that's a great way to start your day. That's a great way to, to pray and make it your own words, but open your Bible and start to pray biblical things instead of let's just pray for Aunt Betty's bunion and praise God for Aunt Betty. And yes, we want her bunion to be healed, but I'm telling you, Think eternal. Think big picture. What is it you want God to do in your life that will actually affect things for eternity? Because if Aunt Betty's in Christ, her bunion will be healed, I promise you. Right? When she's glorified. Or maybe before. You know, there's great medicine, things like that. And God could heal it in a moment. All right. The filling of the Holy Spirit can occur repeatedly in our lives. And when we are we are more like Jesus. When that happens, we are more like Jesus. We have a greater power over sin to, to put it to death, as Paul would say, which leads to greater love, and it also leads to more effective ministry. That's what it means. And someone might say, well, I don't like how that's being said. And to that person, if that person were here, I, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry because that's what the Bible teaches and we shouldn't be afraid of that. So many times because of crazy things that happen, we're afraid to talk about the goodness that's in the Bible because we don't want to go there. And both of those are errors. And I don't ever want us to be that church. So I pray that we would not. So being continually filled by the Spirit is good because that's how the, whole, that's how the New Testament promotes it. Paul was exhorting born-again believers in the church when he wrote in verse 18, Be 
filled with the Spirit. He's talking to Christians. And in almost all of Luke's writings, we find in the book of Acts, he's reporting of people who are born again, being filled with the Spirit as they go out and worship and witness. It's all over the place if you'll read it. I promise you. And just like those same people received repeated fillings of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, we need to be filled repeatedly. Does he ever leave us? No. But man, my gas tank gets empty. So fill me up, Lord, because I need more of you and less of me. See, according to the New Testament, we need to be repeatedly filled with the Holy Spirit for two primary purposes. Ready? Empowered worship and empowered witness. It's all over the scriptures. And that's what we need. It has been said by John Piper, listen, he says that the aim of all human life in God's eyes is that Christ would be made to look as valuable as he is. Worship means using our minds and our hearts, our bodies to express the worth of God and all he is for us in Jesus. He says there is a way to live, a way to love that does that. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. And this does not just happen on a Sunday morning. Can I just say that? Right? If this is the extent of your worship, of, of enjoying Jesus in community and enjoying him, I, I mean, I say this very lovingly, but I'm concerned that you might have a lot of religion, but not a lot of Jesus. Because the life of a believer is 24-7. And when we're low, it doesn't mean he doesn't love us, but we walk with God daily, not just on Sunday. And you might be a new believer and need some help and some discipleship. I want you to know we want to do that with you. So let us know if you're struggling. Let it be known, and we'll surround you with people who will pray with you, walk with you, teach you the Bible, and encourage your walk. So that... As God gives us power, we can love him and we can love one another, which is a witness to the world, right? All right, Jesus said this, right? It always goes back to love. Jesus said that by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if we have love for one another. If this world never sees our love, our worship, outside of these walls right here, something's terribly wrong and defective about our witness. Terribly, but I'm so proud to say it's not the case for our church. I'm just so thankful. I see the way y'all love one another. I just see it. And I think the world sees it, and it's exciting. So keep loving, by God's grace, one another. Keep seeking him. This is why we need to be repeatedly filled. It has everything to do with worship, and it all goes back to love. Jesus says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the second I'm sorry, and the second is this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. We need power to do that. I don't know about you, but I ain't knocking it out of the park every day about loving God with everything I am. (laughs) You? Don't answer that. We're not. That's why we need his power. He didn't lower the bar when he said this, by the way. This is a crushing weight. If you think you're loving your neighbor so awesome that you don't have to worry about the Ten Commandments. You've missed the whole point. The point is, you can't do that apart from me. You can't do that. You need grace. You need forgiveness. You're not loving one another perfectly. I love perfectly. Look at the cross. Look at the empty grave. You need me. That's the beauty of the text. So what does that look like? Well, I'll tell you one thing it doesn't look like, and it's in the text. It doesn't look like the one who's drunk and intoxicated on wine. Does not look like that, right? For that person, listen, only loves himself. He only loves himself. You think about the fruit of the Spirit. Think about it in reverse, right? The drunk person, the one who's drunk on wine, well, his joy is synthetic. It won't last long. 
He only loves himself. He has no peace, which is why he runs the booze. Or she, right? Not only that, but he's not patient. He's not kind. And if he is, it's only for a moment. Because he's not filled with goodness. He's filled with booze or alcohol, which does not lead to self-control. It leads to destruction. This person has no self-control. That's why they are a drunken fool. And I don't say that to anybody's shame if you're struggling. But I'm telling you right now, it's no way to live. It's time to get help. It's time to get help. And it's time to turn from it. Because that's not what God would have for you. See, overindulgence or getting intoxicated on booze leads to wildness and self-indulgence, which is debauchery, Paul says. He says, do not get drunk with wine. It's not good for the drunk. It's not good for those around them. And it's certainly not good for anybody in the community to see people who say they love Jesus getting drunk. He says, knock it off. Just quit it. Because it's It's damaging you. It's damaging those in your life, and it's damaging the witness of the church. But he says, instead, be intoxicated or be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because that's good for everybody. It's good for you. It's good for those you come in contact with, and it's great for the church because it empowers us to love God and to love one another. That's why Paul says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. So we see how not to be filled with the Spirit, right? But that doesn't answer how do you repeatedly get filled. What does it mean? Well, I'm not going to get into the pragmatics, but I think there are some some real things that we can look at. Question, how do you get drunk with wine? I'm not looking for an answer, but think about it. First, you've got to drink it. Generally, you've got to drink lots of it. That's how you get drunk with wine. How do you get drunk or how do you get filled with the Spirit? You got to drink lots of gospel. <laughs> you got to drink lots of grace. You got to get in the word. You need to be in community. You need to be in prayer. See, being continually filled with the Spirit means drinking deeply from the fountain of grace that is found within the gospel. This means setting our minds and our hearts on the things of the Spirit through His Word and directing our eager attention to the good news found in the Bible. It's surrounding yourselves with people who love Jesus. It's running that race. It's praying together. It's worshiping together. It's singing together, not just on Sunday morning, but in community groups, outside of community groups, in every which way, so that when we go into the world, guess what? They see a gospel witness because you, see, you can't hide that. I mean, that is a light. You see people loving one another. I've seen this in different churches, not just Harvest. I'm saying different churches where, man, you can say, I don't know where they go to church, but I know that's a, that's a gang of Jesus people. And I've asked them, hey, where do you guys go to church? We go here. That's awesome because you can't hide it. And if we do this long enough, we will get drunk on the good news of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, we'll get addicted to the Spirit. And instead of being dependent on substances like booze, we will realize we are dependent upon the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. And that, my friends, is when things start to just be amazing in the life of the church, in the community that God has placed us in. So to do that, we need to be in the Word. But we also need to pray. We need to ask God to do this. So I'm asking you, church, will you do this? Will you read His Word? Will you gather? Will you pray? And I know many of you already are. I see many heads shaking. Yes, I'm so excited about that because that's what we desperately need to do, this mission that God has us on. And that's exactly what Paul asked God to do when he said, fill us with all the fullness of God. So, Point, last point, to be continually filled with the Spirit requires that we drink deeply from the fountain of the gospel. The good news, right, of what Jesus has done. In the word, pray and ask our good Father to fill us and worship King Jesus as we witness to the world by the power of his Holy Spirit. 
To drive this point home, I, I got two quotes that I want to read. And I know quotes, they sometimes will fall on deaf ears. So I need you to pay attention and fix your mind on the words I'm about to read because these are great quotes. Don't miss them. Ready? To drive this point home, here's, here's a great quote. Ready? And quote. The Reformation was a time when men went blind, staggering drunk, because they had discovered in the dusty basement of late middle, mid, mid, eh, medievalism a whole cellar full of 1,500-year-old, 200-proof grace. Bottle after bottle of pure distill of Scripture, one sip of which would convince anyone that God saves us single-handedly. The word of the gospel. After all those centuries of trying to lift yourselves up to heaven by worrying about perfection of the bootstraps of your own life, suddenly turned out to be a flat announcement that the saved were home before they ever started. Grace has to be drunk straight. No water, no ice, and certainly no ginger ale. Neither goodness nor badness nor the flowers at the bottom of the spring of super spirituality could be allowed to enter into that case. I love that, by the way, but then I want to read a, a follow-up quote to that that talks about that quote, right? Because I'm thinking, wow, is it possible, really, is it possible that the grace of Jesus Christ causes people to love like Jesus? Really? Is that what the word says? Absolutely. And so then listen to this follow-up reflection of that quote. We want so desperately to mix in some of our rule-keeping and our performances. We'd give anything to add something to our own label. But it never turns out as the way we would hope. We start to feel like we can't keep up our end of the bargain. We feel as though we've failed. But what if we don't need our own label? What if Jesus kept up our end of the bargain for us? Those who are broken and bold enough to ask these questions find themselves seated at the table with smiling sinners. Too drunk on grace to remember the rules, and yet... They all seem to know them by heart. We've served glass upon glass, and something happens. The gospel becomes the power of God and the wisdom of God. The power of God because we taste something good enough to change us. He says, listen, the bar is always open. The drinks are all paid for. Just thank the bartender. Raise your glass. Drink it straight. It's all grace. I'm like, I love that. Some of you might be thinking, I'm confused. What are we talking about? I want you to know what he's saying is... Drink the good news of Jesus Christ, that he lived the perfect life, that he died the perfect death, the death that you and I deserve. He became an enemy so that you and I, enemies, could become born again, brought into the family because we've done anything. No, because he's done it everything, and now we get to enjoy him forever. That's the good news of the gospel. That is what, I mean, that's what fuels worship. That's what fuels witness. And when you finally get this, if you will get this, I promise you, instead of the drudgery that you might be living under, always seeking to try and be pleasing before God, understanding that through the blood of Christ, you are pleasing to God, that creates a love a love for God, a love for others, because it's not about us. You need less of you. Rule keeping, no one ever changes their heart because you know not to do this. Love changes the heart. And the good news of what Jesus has done is the love of Christ unfolded. And it's all through the scriptures. If you'll just look, if you'll just take a drink, I promise you, you'll be changed. I promise you. All right. I don't know about you, but I thirst for God because I need him deeply. And I know you do too. So let's drink 
from that well. Let's seek to be filled with the Spirit. This will not lead to debauchery like wine or beer or drugs. It will lead to real love, real joy, real peace, real patience, real kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And that is Him at work in us, which will then lead to what? Witnessing songs we sing as we celebrate the joy that we have in Jesus. And this is where Paul lands the plane, in a sense. See, our hearts need to be filled with these words that build up our lives and bring glory to God. So look in verse 19 and 20. He says, okay, so as you're filled with the Spirit, right, what happens then? Well, you're addressing one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs. You're singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Give thanks always and for everything to the God to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, church, what does that look like, right? Because I remember reading this a long time ago thinking, that might be weird, right? Is this like some strange musical? Like we all just show up and start singing, hello, hello, Julie, how are you? And like, because it's kind of like what it says. Well, I hope that's not the case because none of us are doing that. And I'm hoping to never do that because if you've ever heard me sing, you would not want that. Um, so what is he saying? What is he saying? Well, I think... As you see a people gather that love Jesus, and as the gospel has changed the way they live, you'll see a people who worship together, right? And so I just want to encourage us here in Indiana. Um, many times, and this is not meant to be heavy at all, when we come in, man, like we're all talking and this and that, can I just gently and lovingly encourage you as your pastor that to come ready to worship, and when the first song is being sung, to be ready to sing, right? And it doesn't start just here in the morning. So like, I know you're like, you're excited to greet one another. Good, stay late. Go to community group. Greet each other prior to the moment we're singing. But when we start singing, could we come forward ready to worship King Jesus together? And let's sing out. And I'll tell you, worship doesn't just start the morning you wake up because everything's warring against you, right? I, I mean, we, we only had Sarah. I remember how hard it was to get one kid. I pray for many of you moms and dads daily because I know how hard it is. It's just so easy to just hit. I can't go today. Many of you make the effort to come Praise God for you. I'm so thankful that you're here because it's just beautiful to see you and your families make Jesus and worshiping Jesus together your A priority in your lives. So praise God. But let's come. And when that first song starts to be sung, let's be ready to sing. And if you're late, oh, there's grace, man. There's tons of grace. No one's even paying attention to that. But instead of being in the back talking, walk forward when the song begins. And if you're like, I'm in a conversation. I don't know how to get out of it. Grab them by the hand of the arm and say, let's go worship Jesus. I bet you they'll follow you. Right? I just, I just, it's an area we need to grow in. It really is. And I say that with the most love and compassion in my heart. But we're here to worship when that song begins. And that's not the only way we worship, but this is really important that we grow as a church here. Then I would say, come ready. Come ready. What's your Saturday night look like? I'm not trying to give you law or rules, but like pray, get to bed at a, at a good time. Whatever it takes for you to be ready to come in. Now, there's going to be times you're going to come in dry. I know. There are days when I'm like, man, I'm just like, I'm not, let's say, quote, unquote, feeling it. God help me. Make my heart in tune with yours. And let's encourage one another to do that because that is what will absolutely shape our church in this community. Okay? All right. Listen, 
a life filled with such thanksgiving will show itself in joyous worship that will lead to a witness that cannot be denied in this community as we're filled with the Spirit, as we love one another, as we walk with God, as we seek the lost. Amen? All right, church. I'm so excited to run this race with you. Let's seek by God's grace to increase the health and size of his church everywhere until the Lord returns or he takes our last breath and we go to be with him forever. All right, let's pray. Oh, you know, one second. I want to say this because I just think, man, if I miss this, if there's someone here and they're like, dude, I don't even know what you're talking about. I want to say this. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, I, I want you to hear the words that he would say to you. Because everybody here is thirsty. You need to know that. When I say thirsty, I mean your heart longing to be satisfied. And Jesus, man, at the end of the the, the feast, he stands up. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come come to me, come to Jesus and drink. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So I guess I want to say to you, uh, if you're here, I want you to know Christ loves you, and it was displayed beautifully as he humbled himself, as he came to this earth, as he put on flesh, and as he walked the life that we could never live. He, he knows you're not satisfied, and he knows the things of this life will never satisfy you. And he's saying, come to me. Come to me. Receive grace. Receive forgiveness. Believe in me is what he's saying. So if you're here and you're like, man, I, I, I want to be satisfied. I want to have real life. I feel like I don't have that. I want you to know it can only be found in Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. It's time to repent of your sins. And when I say repent, I want you to know what I mean by that. It's time to stop living as though you're God. Because you're not God. And you have a God, even if you won't recognize him. And I want you to know you're under his wrath. And you need a Savior. And Jesus Christ is that Savior. And so... If that's you, today's the day I pray of salvation that you would turn from yourself and put your faith and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ and have life because he loves you. And his love was perfect displayed on the cross where he died in your place for your sins. And he rose from the grave because sin could not hold him down. And he is the one who offers eternal life. There is no other place to be satisfied except in the person and work of Jesus Christ. 